Um, how you guys doing? Everybody good? Um, you go back. I, uh, I, we, got a, we got a few things to get to. Today's a big topic. Uh, we are not necessarily wrapping up our series. We've got, our, um, we've got Nancy Houston in the house next week for a Q&A. I've already got several questions uh, uh, sent in to us. You can send in your questions. You don't have to put your name on it or anything. So in case you want to ask something and say, like, I know a person who, um, you can do that. But really, we really don't want you to ask, like, cupcake questions. It really doesn't do anybody any good. We really want you to ask questions that um, will make me feel awkward for asking Nancy. And so I would really love for you to ask the difficult questions. And you can submit that online and let us know about it. Um, I think it's going to be a really, really spectacular day. Um, nothing will be off limits. But today's the last day that we preach about it or teach a topic on it. How many of you enjoyed the Loveology series? It's been good? You enjoyed it? And I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's challenged me. In fact, I left last week texting a few guys going, I feel like I left a bunch of stuff out. And um, I, so I, I, I feel like there's a lot here um, and a lot to talk about. Uh, we're doing our best, and hopefully we'll do a bit of a catch-all next week with our Q&A. If there's something that you thought we should have talked more about or something we didn't talk about or just a question that was brought up. I think good preaching shouldn't just leave you with a lot of answers. It should also drive you to ask a few questions. And so I, I think what, when we get scared of questions as the church, we lose our power and integrity because we we all as people probably have questions and so the Q&A for us is not just a good time to like take a Sunday and do something different uh, it really is for us a culture setter it really is the desire to make sure that we as people are asking questions and I think the church needs to be better at asking questions too many times we give all the answers and and I understand that please don't get me wrong I believe Jesus is the answer but sometimes saying that phrase doesn't help everyone and because there's more to it than that and so I I want to just be a church that's willing to, to walk through some things and discuss some things and have difficult conversations and get to the end of a conversation and go, I guess we'll have to look more into that. You know what I mean? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you, can, you don't end every conversation going, oh, I know. Yeah, I was right. That's not really the point. And uh, the hope is that through all of it, we point people to Jesus. Amen? And so um, I just, again, I love that we did the, the ladies thing last night, and we got a few minutes to talk about some things today. Um, if you didn't catch it at the end there, we're just announcing for the first time because the women did an event. Men are going to do an advance, which is a, a, a better way of saying retreat, um, in April. And so I'd love for you to uh, sign up for that, 75 bucks. But if you're a student or you just need some financial help, we, there's, I'm just telling you, you can go. Like, Whatever the deal is, you can go. So please don't hesitate to say, hey, I need some financial help or whatever. Please let us know. It's 75 bucks. That covers pretty much everything. It's an hour away, so you do have to drive. We can carpool. But, man, I, I'm telling you, every time we do this, guys come home going, I didn't know I could have such a good time just hanging out for a day. So we'd love for you to, especially you guys who are new, man, this is a great opportunity to come in and hang out, meet some guys. And so don't hesitate. Like, jump in. Yeah? yeah. Even if it's like your first Sunday, you can still go. We might ask some questions, but you can still go. Um, just joking. Hey, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to do my best to cover everything today. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I made them give me a smaller podium than what we used to have, and, and then I started going back to using a notebook, and now I have to, it doesn't fit. So uh, I messed up on that, but we're going to be all right. We're going to make it happen. So if, if I drop something, don't get mad at me. 
Genesis chapter 1, but I want to, before, especially if you've not been here before, if you've not been a part of uh, this series, I want to set the tone. And the very first Sunday, we talked about this topic. We talked about this loveology. And, and, and we weren't really trying to do a relationship series that said one, two, three will result in a good marriage. What we're trying to do is deal with this idea of love and, and, and work it into a working theology of life. What we believe about God, what we believe about other people, how we look at this word love. Because how many of you know the word love gets you? used a lot, right? Some, some of you guys said this week, I love tacos, right? And then others of you said, I love my wife. And for some of us, those are equal. And, um, and for some of it, was, and, and some of you, it was the same person. You said you love tacos on Tuesday. You said you love your wife on Wednesday. And you wonder why your wife doesn't think you appreciate her. You know, it's because we use this word so easily. It just kind of comes out. And, and I get it, but there are degrees of it, isn't it? And, uh, and it becomes kind of this junk drawer that we just throw a bunch of stuff into. And, and so I wanted to, we really just wanted to spend a month. And I haven't done a relationship series in a while uh, because it can kind of get into these issues and some of these topics rather than focusing on Jesus. And so it can be a difficult series to preach where I'm just kind of giving practical help and not pointing you to who Jesus is in your relationship. And so, what's, but, but what's been really interesting is the conversations I've had with people since we decided to do this, and the, the things that have been brought up and the things that have been talked about has been really, really, really good. And so I hope you're getting to dinner parties, having those conversations. Uh, but to set this whole series up, we talked the very first week about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And, and ultimately what happened here is that Jesus took a position he should have never taken on his knee with a, a robe, with taking off his robe, putting on uh, basically what amounts to a towel, but just something that, that, that he could wash other people feet in because it was a dirty job and he did a job that he should have never had to do right and 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 that's really the picture of love the picture of love is putting ourselves in positions and doing jobs that nobody else wants to do so that we can wipe away what people have tracked in and so many times what happens is we we flip that and we want to know what it is to be loved and, and I understand that uh, but but I, I actually think that more often than not if you would just stretch yourself and love somebody you will begin to find out what that looks like in your life as well and and, and so so Jesus washed their feet and just right very soon after that ended up on the cross. And so in some ways what he was doing with the feet, he was, was picturing what he was going to do on the cross, which was I am going to wash away everything you've walked in, everything you've walked through, everything you've dealt with, all the things that you have carried in. And then he says to Peter, who says, no, 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 you cannot wash my feet. And Jesus says this statement. He says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't do what I've called you to do. In other words, setting the standard at, if you want to serve me and do what I've put in your life and do everything I've called you to and go reach the world, it starts with washing people's feet. Because, and later on he says, this is the pattern I've set. Now I understand there are different definitions of love, but everything that are beyond that is built upon that foundation. That we are willing to take on other people's mess so that we can walk into a new mission together. And so we talked about marriage, we talked about singleness, we talked even a little bit last week about sex, and I actually, that was the one I felt like we just didn't get to everything in that topic, uh, but we'll do it hopefully again, we'll talk about Q&A next week. Uh, but we talked about all those things, but they all start with, are we willing to wash someone else's feet? Are we willing to deal with someone else's mess? Because typically what happens in marriage, typically what happens when you get to that depth of commitment is that you find out there are things that are messier than you thought. And there are things in people's lives that they're bringing into the marriage that you didn't realize were there. And you have the decision of whether or not you're going to get on a knee and wipe someone's feet or if you're going to bail. Now, I understand there are deeper issues and more difficult issues. So this is not, a, this is not just a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. But the idea that our first move is 
serving. And our first move is loving fully and completely, completely and selflessly. That's our first move. And that first move usually generates some other things that allow us to walk in life together. Uh, whether it's a finance discussion, whether it's a sex discussion, whether it's just a romance thing, whatever it is, that first move is how can I deal with, with you what you've dealt with? How can I be a part of bringing that off your life, taking that away from your life, pointing you to Jesus and watching our lives and our relationships restored? And, 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 and at the end of the day, what we have to understand is that, that God has an ideal. God does have an intentionality. And so we've been going to Genesis 1. We've been going to Genesis 2 because the beginning, in the beginning, God created. And, and, and in that, he said at the end of chapter 1, what did he say? And he looked at everything and saw that it was all very good. That included sex and relationships and all the like, everything that that comes with. So there was an ideal. There was, a, there was an, an intentionality of enjoyment that God had created in a way in which we could fully enjoy it as it should be. I know we don't love that for, because if you begin to walk that logic down that there's something that it should be, that it also means that there is something it should not be. And we, in a culture now where that is not a phrase we want to hear, no, you should not. I love that when we become adults, we, we tell each other, no, I can't tell you what to do. But when we have kids, we tell them all the time. And the problem, and, and, and the reason is because what we figure that everyone who is an adult is mature. Do not look at your husband, you know. Like, don't look around. We, we just assume that somewhere because we are older that we are more mature and we understand things. How many of you know that is not true? How many of you know you have an 8-year-old that understands things better than your 22-year-old nephew or brother or dad? You know, like, like, you just, like, you under, like, we get it. There's 50-year-olds running around that, are, that know less than some 12-year-olds. And, and, and ultimately, it is not a matter of knowledge. We want to fix everything in our culture with knowledge. I love knowledge. I think it's good. I love to read. I love the stuff that makes me think. I get it. Knowledge is good, but it does not fix things. It makes us aware of things. There has to be something else that, allow, that actually fixes them at the deepest parts of who we are. So no matter how smart we get, we will still have the issue of sin. We will still have the issue of insecurity. We will still have the issue of, of like, the, the smartness does not necessarily mean that we have figured it all out. And even at our highest peak when it comes to our intellectual understanding of things, uh, we still would have to admit. In fact, the more understanding you get, the more you realize you just don't know it all. And so even in our search for knowing things and teaching more things, what we have to understand that there's something that happens in our spirit. And so there is an ideal. There is a should and should not. But it's not this, it's not this right and wrong type of thing. It's not a necessarily even a good and bad. It is this word that means to enjoy. So this idea that God had made it very good, meaning he made it to be fully and completely enjoyed. It is beautiful. In fact, the word for good, the opposite of it is ugly, meaning it is something to do with the aesthetic of something. It is beautiful. It is something that you catch with your five senses. You smell it, you taste it, you hear it, you touch it. It's something that you can fully embrace. And so many times we make this Christian faith around this right and wrong when reality is it's more about what is to be enjoyed. And so then you determine what is right and wrong. If you start with what's right and wrong, you make it very uh, unenjoyable, yeah. right? Like you just want to get on the roller coaster and then some dude is trying to put all the rules in front of you. Just put me in, strap me in, I'm good to go. You know, then I'll figure it out. 
And, and so many times what we try to do is we try to go, here are all the, here's the rights and the wrongs, and this is what you should do, and this is what you shouldn't do, and this is what, you know, if you, if, if you deal with this or you struggle with that or you deal with it, then you're just, you're just well, we probably just can't talk to you. We probably can't do it. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Because the, the, the context of us understanding what we should and should not do is that we should enjoy it, that we should embrace it, that it should be beautiful, that it should be life-giving. And, I, and this is actually the end of my message, but I would just tell you that for so many of us as believers, we kind of rank sins. We kind of rank things, and we try to kind of go, well, this, is, this guy will rub off on this, and this guy will, this is going to mess this up. And, and the reality is, is that we all fall short, and we all need grace. And we all need the good news. And, and, and the Bible isn't really a book about our sin. It's a book about our Savior. It is a book about how he came to redeem us and bring life into our world. And that is what we have to major on. That is what we have to set as the highest standard for us. And so uh, this kind of, I actually mentioned this to someone the other day. Um, it's obviously sad and, and painful and not good, but there's some things that are happening in our culture, primarily with sexual abuse that, that has become moved to the forefront. Nancy Houston, we'll talk about that next week a little bit. Uh, she wrote a great article on it. Uh, but but we, I actually think this is a cultural moment for us to shine as the church. I think we have an incredible sexual ethic in the church if we would understand what it is, if we would do the work and actually understand what this was intended for, what relationship looks like, and, and, and if we would actually begin to challenge men to be the way they are supposed to be and women to embrace, empower them to be who they are called to be, we would begin to see this fixed. And, and, and I think this is actually an opportunity for us in this moment and in this time to shine brighter than we've ever shined. But I also believe this, that as I share today, you're going to be challenged. And if you're not... Um, if you're not willing to be challenged, then this is going to be a tough church for you to hang out at. Because I have two requirements for every message that I preach, that you are encouraged and that you are challenged. I want you to be encouraged, but sometimes you don't need a pat on the back. I don't mean like anything. I don't, I don't, I'm not telling you you need to have pain, but I just found that when I work out, because I, 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 I do, uh, when, I, when I do, there is, there is more than just encouragement involved. It is challenging, but that is where I find strength. It is, it's, in fact, it reminds me of the fact that I don't have it all together, right? And so this idea that, that we have to begin to talk through this, and today's topic is male and female, if, you, if, I, if I haven't forgot to mention that. Male and female, that's today's topic. That's a fun one, right? Um, what could go wrong, a man telling women what they should uh, be like, right? Like that's... It's going to be great. Um, but it opens up a whole other can of worms as well. There's a whole lot of things that that topic begins to work its way into, and we're going to do our best to cover some of that um, today. Although I did take a little bit of extra time in worship, so I probably messed some of that up. So maybe we'll extend the series. I don't know. What do you think, babe? You good? And my watch is broken. I just feel naked without it, so I'm still, it's 1.30. <laughs> so Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Verse 26, and then we'll go on to verse 27. Hopefully we put that on the screen. I can't remember. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created, now this, this is in the phrase, and, and it, this is an interesting phrase. 
He created them, male and female. Now listen, he said God created man in his own image. He created them, male and female. It's an interesting transition from I created him in the image of God, I created them, male and female. And, and here's where, I, this is where the cultural narrative at the moment, where we're trying to strip away the value of who you are as a man and woman, where we're trying to take that out of the equation, is actually messing up what God intended because God did actually make you male and female for a reason. And, and, and some of you are saying amen because you, you yeah, like that's but I, but listen here's the deal. God has a picture of himself in both. So God created him and them in the image of God. In other words, he transitions it from this singular word to this plural one that says he created them in the image of God, male and female. In other words, there is something about men and women that reflect the nature of who God is. It is not one or the other. I know we see words like him in the Bible describing God, but we also see other things like uh, other phrases that would describe God in a, in a more feminine sense. The, the picture of God is not one or the other. It is both. It is both of us, men and women, that reflect who God is. There are strengths and weaknesses about both that reflect who God is and why his intention was that they would come together and do this together. Remember, the context of Eve being created was not just that Adam was sitting lonely, but Adam was trying to do a job and could not do it by himself. So God had given Adam a role to fulfill, but could not fulfill that by himself. So God said, this is not good to be alone. And then he created a bunch of other animals. I don't know if you've noticed that, but he created a bunch of other things and said, well, this isn't going to work. And then he created Eve out of the bone of Adam. And in fact, if you would really trace the history of the gospel, what you find is those societies and cultures most influenced by the gospel have elevated women to be equals. In fact, some historians would say Paul was the first theologian to preach the equality of men and women. I mean, just look at the places. Just, you can even now, just look now at the world at large where the gospel has made the greatest impact. Women are more empowered to be women. The, 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 the idea that some this is the idea that male and female equal created in the image of God was a, was an extreme view. It, this was not normal. This is not something that was just accepted by everyone. This is something that was outside the norm, and yet it was God's intention for us. And sin altered our view of each other, and sin altered the way in which we interact with each other. And so the issue really isn't about should we be men or women. The issue is about can we deal with the sin that causes us to abuse the distinctions that make us who we are. That causes us to abuse the things that actually make us unique. In other words, the footing in the gospel for men and women is equal. Adam and Eve, the footing was equal. It was level. It, it was not this idea that somehow men were better and women. And some of us read that verse taken from the rib of Adam. No, no, no. We, we go, well, that, that means that women were less. No, it means that we needed someone to be just like the man and have different things about them that helped us do what we were called to do because everything else God had created didn't do the job. We are equal, but here's the thing. We are unique. We are equal, but we are unique. In fact, diversity is what gives us the strength that we want in unity. I mean, every great painting has more than one color. I've never seen a, a, a piece of art on display that was just gray. 
The distinctions of us actually are what bring us together and make us beautiful, make us powerful, make us life-giving. The distinctions is actually what brings life to the unity. So when Paul says that we are the body of Christ and you're a finger and you're a toe and you're an eye, he's, what he's saying is that we all come to make, together and make something incredible. And it's the same idea in Scripture, that male and female, he created them. Now, I understand that there's a there's something to be noted here because what can happen as we talk about this um, male and female thing is that we can begin to just leave it at male and female. We can tend to just kind of leave it as, well, he's a male and he's a female, and that's imprinted on our DNA, and that is a biological thing. And obviously the issue that we're having in our culture is one that's less about the biology of a person uh, and more about the function of a person. Uh, and, in, and in a culture where we tend to uh, want to uh, get rid of some of these labels, what we're actually finding is that in the midst of trying to get rid of some of these labels, we are actually creating a vacuum where people are beginning to accentuate certain things about masculinity and femininity even more than they ever have. So men are growing beards. I know that seems small, but it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Like we, and we're, we're, we're smoking more cigars than ever before. We got more like tobacco pipes and like, we, and, and ladies, we're like dressing and the, the like it, it, it's amazing how when you try to take the distinctions out of a culture, you actually begin to see a culture begin to accentuate it, begin to push for it, begin to try for it even more. Because we know in ourselves that there is something different and distinct about who we are, and yet we're trying to do it in ways that are stereotypical, and they aren't actually healthy. Because there is something different about the biology of a person and the function of a person. So I don't look at my four-year-old and go, man, you are a man. Nobody would. Why? He is a boy. And it's not just because he's a male or female. It's because he still wants to take. Boys take. Men give. So as a, as a four-year-old boy, he gets mad about everything that gets taken from him because he thinks it is his right to have everything that he wants. And so his biology is a man, and he's going to jump off things, and he's going to break things, and, he's gonna, but we, and, we, and then he moves into a function, and the function of a man is different. The function of a man has something different to it, and it is one that has to be self-giving. I, listen, i got to be honest with you. This is a challenging topic because I want to go into every other area of this and talk about all these other things. And I'm, I'm, it, So this may just kind of, it's going to weave its own path. Are you guys okay with that? So there is this, this, this idea, and even for a young lady, we, we, we wouldn't call an eight-year-old girl a woman. We would, we would, it's a young lady. It's, it's like a girl. Why? Because there's something that happens as they progress, and hopefully at some point in time for both young uh, boys and young women that we would begin to translate into a place of adulthood, which is not just simply being older. It is actually taking responsibility for who I am and who I've been made to be. And so some of you ladies have dated a boy. With a beard. I have a, there's a preacher down the road that calls it a boy with, uh, that can shave. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and we, we will acknowledge that. And we'll talk about that. But in a culture where we kind of are trying to pull those out. But, man, I, I, it, it, we try to kind of get rid of those labels. Um, and, and I understand at some level why. I really do. I understand at some level why we're doing that. 
Um, but I don't think it's an issue of erasing identity. I think it's a, 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 an issue of embracing the right identity so that people can flourish. Because God's intention was flourishing. It was enjoyment. It was beauty. It was perfection. It, his desire was that this would work as it should. And so many times we try to erase things rather than embrace things in the way they should be embraced. So we live in a culture that is deconstructing itself based upon the culture before it rather than reconstructing who it is meant to be. And so you end up with a culture that is self-loathing because there's no redemption in Christ. So we want the kingdom, all the principles of freedom and uniqueness and all that without the king who created it in the first place. And so we want this idea that we want to strip those things away and yet that's not what really needs to happen. What really needs to happen is healing. Because there are things that men are abusing and doing wrong. And so I think there's two things that we are dealing with. We're battling against two things. One is sameness. I just kind of mentioned that. We're trying to make everybody the same. There's a difference between equal and the same. There's a difference between equal and the same. And it's, you know, all paint is paint. But there's distinctions of it because difference actually allows it to do what it needs to do. We are all human, but we are distinct. We are made different. We are all little snowflakes. <laughs> we all have things about us that are unique. But the other side is that we're battling stereotypes. Right? If I'm a man, I've got to decide if I'm going to be 007. Right? I've got to decide if I'm going to be a football star. I've got to decide if I'm going to be an incredible CEO. I've got to decide if I'm going to be muscular and spend all my time at the gym. I've got to, I've got to decide. I've already made that decision. Uh, I've, got to, I've got to make all these decisions about who I am as a man, and none of them really actually relate to who I am as a man. Wow. They're all exterior things, and they're all unhealthy, and the truth is they aren't all reserved for men. But somehow we've made them manly things. And for women, it might even be harder. For women, it's like, okay, I'm going to be the six-foot model, or am I going to be a CEO, or am I going to have children and have a family? Am I going to do? And we're having to make people choose between them as though you can't be them all. And as though somehow they are reserved for only certain people. And again, the issue there is that those aren't actually who you are called to be as a woman. The Bible does not talk about any of those things. In fact, if you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, it is not this woman who is just yielding to men and doesn't do it. It's this woman who's out planting crops and working in the day and making trades happen and doing. This woman is amazing. The Bible is not trying to categorize you. In fact, the gospel does an amazing job. Jesus shows up and doesn't categorize anybody. Jesus does not show up and go, well, you're this. And it's always everybody else that's doing that. He's hanging out with sinners. No, I'm hanging out with people. Jesus didn't categorize you. He didn't go, well, you're male, you're female. He didn't categorize you. He go, you're, 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 you are heterosexual, you're homosexual, you're this. He doesn't do that. In fact, the word homosexual didn't exist until like 100 years ago when someone decided to categorize us as heterosexual or homosexual. The idea existed for sure, but the word didn't. And we've begun more and more as we have made sex a God that we worship because here's the challenge. Worship always causes identity, always shapes identity, always that's why guys who like certain bands end up looking like that band, right? Guys who think, you know, 
People who love the pub end up dressing a certain, there's, there's certain things about us, that, uh, the things we worship, and I'm not saying you worship the pub, you shouldn't, uh, but, I'm not, but when we, as we begin to place certain things in our life of high importance, we begin to look like that thing. Why? Because worship always shapes our identity. It's why God created it, so that we would worship him, and in him we would find who we are, and our identity would be secure in an unchanging, faithful God. That was the whole point. He created all of us in the image of God. So before we are man and woman, we are human. And so we're battling this idea of we're all the same. Well, no, no, we're not. I am not like my wife. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing on so many levels. But just on our own roles in our, in our world, there are things she does that are so much better than me. And no, some of you good Christians are already thinking that means wash the dishes. Get over it. I got to wash the dishes. Fellas, wash the flipping dishes. You know? Uh, and some of you think, well, that means stay-at-home mom. No! She's an incredible hairstylist, and far be it from me to say, you can't do that. You're a woman. That's ridiculous. The Bible's incredibly, incredibly ambiguous on most of those things. And in some of those things, completely silent. In fact, most of what the roles are for men and women in the Bible are in the context of marriage. Most of the roles for men and women are in the context of marriage. For men, here's what I would tell you. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try to shorten this. For men, okay, your ultimate responsibility is to take responsibility. There is an order. Paul references this. Jesus references this. And for some of you who think, you know, that they didn't have it all together and they struck, like they were both single. It's amazing to get relationship advice from Jesus and Paul. Uh, they were, you know. Like, Paul, you didn't, you didn't ever deal with it. Anyways, so you, 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 get, you get this picture, but that's what's really great about it is that I actually get to see men who lived free and full on in their identity without attaching it to some kind of godlike sex or, well, you are this or you are that. And so what we, what we find, though, it, it, for men is that he created men first, not better some of you think you're awesome, fellas, because the woman was created from your rib. You were created from dirt. <laughs> like, get over it, okay? But here's the thing. But, but there is an order to things. And I would, and, 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 and every, and this is not just biblical. If you even took this on a sociological level, you would find that when men take responsibility for their families and for their streets and for the people around them, cultures work better. The statistics, the number one leading statistic for men and women in prison is fatherlessness. There is nobody who has worked their salt intellectually who could sit there and say it's good if men aren't involved. That just doesn't add up. There is not a statistic, there is not a study that would ever say that men shouldn't be there. In fact, when fathers are fathers, something shifts in a family. Why? Because he takes responsibility for his family. And so we, and here's the word, lead. Oh, we hate that word. Men should lead the family. Oh, okay, here's what that means. Paul lays this out in Ephesians. I want you to self-sacrificingly give your life to your family. As Jesus died for the church, I want you to give your life for your family. 
Lead does not mean to abuse, and that's the problem. We're dealing with this macho uh, view of what a man is, and that's not biblical, this idea. And what we end up doing is abusing that. And so you find men who get power and don't have their identity in Christ, and they think they're just supposed to abuse the power or use the power or do something that they shouldn't do with the power, and they ruin everything. Men are meant to be people who take responsibility. For the family and for, for human flourishing, for their kids being encouraged, for their woman embracing her purpose, for, for their family being safe and protected. Men should do that. And, and again, I'm saying most of this in the context of marriage. The Bible does not say whether a man or a woman should be the president of the United States. It does not address that. But it does say, but you find this thread... Throughout culture where men, when they stand into it, some of you guys are going, oh, cool, I'm not married yet. I don't have to do this. No, no. What a woman is waiting for, for you, is to take responsibility for your life so they know when they step into a relationship with you, you will take responsibility for theirs. They need to know that you'll pick up the heavy stuff. For women, I don't know what time it is. What time is it? I'm on. It's 1.30. So here's the thing. What time is it? Oh, we got time. Y'all good. Y'all good. So here's the thing. For women, here's what I would say, and here's the, the verse that we go back to, Genesis chapter 2, right? Remember, Genesis 1 is a 30,000-foot view of creation. Genesis 2 is a street-level view of creation. Y'all who use Google Maps, get that, all right? And, uh, and what happens in Genesis 2 is that God says, I must create a helper. And here's the problem. So many of us view that word as some kind of lesser word, even though it's the same word that describes God when he helps us. So to somehow think that helper means inferior is to say that God is inferior to us when he helps us. It's, it's, it's not the case. This idea that, that, that women are inferior is completely wrong. Women are meant to be empowered, life-giving people who, who really embrace their role as, as curating life, as being the person who come, comes alongside the man and goes, let's do this. Let's make this happen. Yeah, I, I'm going to help the, your responsibility of making sure human flourishing is happening. And again, this does not mean that you're the moneymaker and I'm the one that stays at home. That just doesn't work across all places. It just doesn't. The idea is, ultimately, that regardless of how the things look, regardless of whether or not Meredith is working and I'm at home on an evening or what, the role is that we would help one another curate what God has created. If anything, the fact that Adam needed a helper is a signification that he actually was the weaker one. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'll let you chew on that. I told you I was going to generate some questions. If I need help, it means I can't do it all by myself. So God gave me Meredith so that we could together, not just for our kids, but for all people, as many people as possible, create a context for their life to flourish and bring hope and future and purpose. So quit getting into some of these like cultural things that say, well, this is what it looks like. No, you're a human created in the image of God, and as a man who takes responsibility, and as a woman who comes alongside and helps with that responsibility, fulfill your role in a way that complements one another and brings life in your relationship. And yes, there are things that men are probably better at most likely, not all the time, but most often. And there are things that women are better at. And see, what I think is terrible is when you try to take that away from people. 
And what you actually do is you got young men who are going to these ideologues who are harmful for society because they've been told by regular society that their manhood is evil or wrong or bad or messed up or you shouldn't embrace it. And what they've actually done is gone. Now, instead of them embracing that, what they've actually done is gone and they've grabbed hold of certain ideologies that are harmful for society. Why? Because they're just trying to find a place to express who God's made them to be. And it's evil and it's wrong, but it happens because we tell people. Or you find the other side. You find people, young men who are lazy and not willing to do anything. Why? Because I feel like if they do, well, I, I'm going to mess something up. No! You're made in the image of God. You got young women, women who think they got to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, dance a certain way, do whatever a certain way to impress or somehow domineer somebody. Can I tell you something? The, the, the idea that, that you would have to subjugate yourself to show your power is all kind of weird. It doesn't make sense. Who you are is who you are regardless of what a man thinks of you, regardless of, what, of whether you're not. And that's why when sex becomes your God, everything you think about is are you desirable enough? Are you pretty enough? Are, are, are they going to like you? Are they going to? You are made in the image of God to come along and curate what God has created and make it everything He wanted to be. Because remember, the Garden of Eden was not made ready made, it was made with some work to be done. Paradise includes work, but it's good when it's done in the right way. And so there's all kinds of things that come up. And so we, sometimes what happens is we jump to this Ephesians 5 kind of thing. We jump to the Ephesians 5 where, where Paul begins to talk about the marriage. He talks about what a man does in marriage and what a woman does in marriage. And here's the thing. Nine times he addresses the man. Three times he addresses the woman. Here's why. Because men are more messed up. It, it, okay, maybe here's a better way to say this. Because men bear the brunt of the responsibility. So who did God get onto when he showed up in the garden? Adam. Because it was his responsibility to protect his wife. It was his responsibility to say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Because we're meant to do something together that's more, that's better, that's greater. This is what God said about you. You're beautiful the way you are. You don't need more wisdom. You don't need to know the knowledge of this. You don't need to. That's what he was supposed to have done. He didn't. I'm not, please hear me. Because I think men should be men. I'm not trying to tell you that you, you can't be strong and you can't be, I think that's ridiculous. What I am trying to tell you is that does not identify you. What identifies you is you're made in the image of God to carry something greater, to carry something life-giving, to carry something strongly and with, with might and with, with purpose and with intentionality and to stand in the gap where other people are retreating from it. Yeah. And in fact, you see that when, when God says, for this reason, the man will, what, leave his mother and father. He does not say that about the woman. So the man has to leave his father and his mother and his couch and his video games, and he has to leave those things, okay? Now, that's a stereotype. I get it, but I'm just trying to just drill in a little bit, okay? you got to leave those things, but the point is, this is the family that took care of you. Now, you need to go and take care of your family. You need to go and take care and love them and embrace them and raise these kids up and love them enough to where they walk in purpose and walk with dignity and walk with a meaning. And the same with your wife. Encourage who she is. Embrace who she is because there are things she's going to bring to your marriage that you never will. So embrace that. Difference action. Now, here's the thing. 
Ephesians 5, what we end up doing is embracing all these roles. The problem is we forget the first part of Ephesians 5 because the part about marriage doesn't start till late in the 20s. There's a whole other part. And it's Ephesians 5, 21, I just want, this is the, the last verse before he starts getting into marriage. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So before, and this is the same, the same pattern as we find in the creation story. It is first a human story before it is a male or man and woman story. It is first, you are to live like this amongst one another. And then, when you get married, this is how this should look. In other words, submit to one another as humans because I value your life. I, I treat it with such reverence that you breathe and you move and you have life in you. I treat it with such reverence that I would submit to it. That I would, And it doesn't mean be bossed around by it. It means walk into it and honor it and lift it up and give it value that it deserves. And if we would do that for each other, I'm just telling you, there would be a lot more or a lot less things to fix. And we're trying to fix it without the redemption of Christ. We're trying to fix it by doing something, by erasing things. God wants us to embrace things that actually cause the right thing to happen. And I would tell you, if men would take responsibility for their families, take responsibility for their neighbors, take responsibility for their wives and their kids, this world would be better off. And it's not because men are better. It's because men tend to bail faster. So some of you, uh, young, listen, and, and this is what I want to tell you. For some of you in here, I, you, 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 uh, you dated a boy. And now you're here doing this life alone. And I want to tell you, God's grace is sufficient for you. That there's a people around you that are for you, that are with you. And where this guy may have taken off, God has never, ever left you nor forsaken you. He is with you in every season and through everything. And where sin abounds, because for a man to take off on a woman, that's sin. There's no, there's no, don't bail. And where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. Not just like equal to, but it actually is greater than. And what happens in our lives and through our marriage and through our singleness is we actually show the redemptive nature and the goodness of God because of our closeness to him and the sufficiency of who he is. I just got a couple minutes. I probably don't actually have a couple minutes. The band can come on up. But Mark 8.34, we'll put it on the screen. Mark 8.34 says this, and I think this is the one that's most important to, to hear here. Summoning the crowd along with his disciples. Now, hear what that means. That means this wasn't just for the disciples. This is for anyone who wanted to hear. Okay? Summoning everyone. Because Jesus' message, the gospel, was for everyone. Summoning the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to be, anyone, did you hear that? Anyone. If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here's the thing. And it works its way into the conversation about the LGBT community. It works itself into the conversation of, 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 of our marriages, of our relationships, of what we think sex is, of all those things. It works its way into all of those things. And much, much more is this, that the gospel requires everyone to change. The gospel requires at every level for all of us to be a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. There is not a person left untouched by this call that says, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself. I think the church is totally messed up when it comes to how we deal with the LGBT community. I think the fact that in here, let me just tell you something. I know there are people in here who are dealing with those feelings and trying to figure out where I can talk to people about it. The church should be that place. I am sorry to people. Who, who, for some reason, the church has not been the best place for you to talk about the things you are feeling and dealing with. 
The church should be a place where people can come and talk about whatever's going on in their life. Wherever they stand on it. However they phrase it. We should be a place where people come in and go, hey, this... Because while there may be some scriptures on homosexuality, and there are, we can have that discussion. Maybe we'll do that in the Q&A next week. The Bible's main agenda is not that. There is this myth that somehow homosexuality is like the greatest sin. Now, it may be a major current issue. I understand that. But to somehow elevate it above greed and pride, as though somehow someone who is gay is going to rub off on my kids more than someone who's greedy and self-centered and prideful and angry. and That's crazy. We are all in this journey, on this journey together. And the Bible gives a very clear promise that what he started in me, he is faithful to complete. Meaning that from the very start, I knew that I would never be finished until I meet Jesus. And can we just be okay with the fact that there are going to be people in here, in fact, everyone in here is unfinished. And yet saved by grace. And made right. And I, some of you guys are going, man, that's a messy statement. I get it because you could all run with it in a bunch of different directions. Here's what I'm telling you. You're human. And that in and of itself gives you value. That in and of itself takes you to a place that says you are more than the creatures of the earth. You are actually there to rule and reign over the creatures of the earth. Again, the word means to bring about what it is called for, to steward it well, to love it well, to bring life out of it. And that is what we are called to do in our relationships. That is what we are called to do as men and women. And we are either male and female, but get it. Listen, understand this, that we must move from just our biology to our function. And if men would live in their function, and if women would live in their function, this world would not be a thing debating about what we should erase and what we should get rid of and deconstructing our culture. We would be reconstructing it in the image of God with the intention of enjoying it at its fullness and at its flourishing. There is no one, no one in this city who is not allowed to sit in these chairs. There is not a single person in this city who can't come in here and enjoy the worship of God and enjoy what God wants to do wherever they are on your moral map. I want you to understand this is a place where people can come in and know that Jesus died for them as much as he died for me. And I know that that opens up conversation. Good. Good. Have the conversation. If someone comes to you and says, man, I'm struggling with same-sex feeling, okay, say thank you for being brave enough to talk about it and for asking me to be the one to talk about it. Don't begin to get into a discourse about it. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Tell them that Jesus is for you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus gave everything for you. That's our first move, Jesus. And men, step into what God's called you to be self-sacrificing, love fully by giving your life fully, completely. Women, step into it. Don't let men just run around. Tell them who they're supposed to be. Tell them what they're supposed to be doing. We need it. We forget and walk in what God's called you to become. You are embraced by the Savior for who you are, not for what culture calls you and not for what uh, some dude in the background and the history has somewhat said about you. No, you are created in the image of God for a reason and for a purpose and you're beautiful the way you are and God wants you to walk in that, embrace that and live in that. And as we embrace our distinctives, we will show the greatest picture of God's grace because he has brought us all to a place of equality, not sameness, 
but equality in Christ. I want to finish with one verse. I should be done, but you guys are good. I want to read two verses, and then we're going to pray. Matthew 11. I want to read this out of Matthew 11, 28, and I'm not sure if I got those on the screen. Did I? Wow. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here's why I'm reading these, because some of us, to deny ourselves sounds really difficult. And yeah, maybe it is, but here's the promise on the other side of that. Come to me, all who are weary, everyone who's burdened, everything you've carried, all the struggles you deal with, all the things you're questioning, all the things that hurt you, and I will give you rest. I will recreate who you are. That's what rest is, to recreate. Now I want you to go to John 7. John 7, 38 says this, the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. Our surrender is not one that ends our life. It's one that begins our life. It is one that gives us living water that flows into every person. Amen. So I don't know where you came in today. And I know I talked about a lot of things that probably all deserved an hour long conversation sitting at a table. I get it. I understand that. And I understand there's room for misunderstanding what I said or how I meant it. But here's what I want more than anything is that for us as a church is that we value every human life, that we value every person and we allow them to be their own distinct selves and where it's wrong and where there's things we mess up at because constraint is a part of every good thing. That we do this the right way, that we love people, point them to Jesus, let the Holy Spirit do what he's called to do. What he's, I mean, the Holy Spirit is here for a reason. You are not him. You are there to show love and grace and mercy. Bring things to the table, sure, but do it in a way that shows grace and mercy. And for us, I, want to, I just want you to, for some of us here today, we have tried to erase who we are, and I want you to fully embrace who you are. Because it's the fullest picture of Jesus is that we would deny ourselves and find rest and rivers. We'd find refreshing and renewal. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We'll close in prayer. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you that there's life in Christ. I thank you that who you've made us to be is who you've made us to be. And so, God, I pray that in a culture that's maybe trying to erase some things or take some things away, God, that what we would do, because some of those things should be taken away. Some of the stereotypes should be gone. But, God, we are made different, equal but different, equal but unique. God, I pray that we would all discover the uniqueness of who we are and that we would redeem it by submitting it and surrendering it to Jesus, denying ourselves, being okay with the fact that there are some desires that will never be fulfilled because in denying ourselves for the sake of Christ, we would find rest and rivers of living water and we can find the grace fully sufficient for every need, for everything. But I pray there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, I pray every single one of us knows the good news of Jesus Christ is for us. Today, if you've struggled with your identity, and I know that's a big question, but if you've struggled with it, you're dealing with it, you're walking through it, and you've defined your identity by some stereotype or, or some hurt or pain, something that was done or said, and today you want to embrace your identity as one who is in Christ Jesus. And you want to deny yourself, and not just the good parts, all the other stuff, all the pains, the hurts, the sins, the stuff, the addictions. And you want to move into rest. You want to move into rivers. You want to move into life. You know, I want to walk in the identity of Christ Jesus, who he's called me to be, who he's made me to be. If that's you today, and you'd say, I've been struggling with it, dealing with it. It's something I've never fully embraced. 
I want to surrender that identity to Christ. If that's you today, would you just courageously and boldly raise your hand right now with everything you got? Would you just raise your hand? You're going, that's, that's me. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Come on, put it up in the air. It's all good. Thank you very much. I see that. Awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else who's going, you know what? I want to walk more fully in who I'm created to be. Thank you so much. Anybody else? So good. So good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for every person in here. God, I pray marriages are restored. God, I pray that forgiveness is given. I pray that people would walk in who they're called to be. And I pray where places are are hurting or places are empty, we'd find sufficiency in Christ. God, I pray that today we would discover our identity in Jesus, that we would not push it to other things or deal with other things. God, that we would would not be the same, but we would also not be stereotypical. God, that we would be people uh, firmly founded in Christ. Lord, we would walk in that. Father, we would be human first, that we'd submit to one another that we'd be thankful in all things, that we would love one another, and in that, discover the beauty of what it is to be unified with others. God, I pray men would be men, and women would be women, and we'd watch this earth flourish, and life happen in incredible ways, and a city reached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.